Welcome to Life Lessons in Unexpected Places. The world is full of teachers if you know how to look and listen. With Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, Patreon, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Remain connected. The further a person tries to project his personal influence beyond his own immediate concerns, the more he inflates his ego. In the end, it may pop like a toy balloon, becoming useless even to himself. Perhaps this even explains certain cases of senility. Well, in a very few words, we have some very interesting ideas. You know, if we think, try to think about what characterizes a very egoic person, even egotistical person who's energy is always a little more aggressive and a little more intrusive than you want it to be. Um, The way it's expressed here, the way Swami Kriyananda puts it, the more a person tries to project his influence beyond his immediate concerns, the more it inflates his ego. So trying to sort of think about that. For example, if you wanted to think about someone who's being very egoic, it's like when somebody tries not only to run his own life, but tries to run yours and tells you how you should behave and tells you, how you what you ought to do. If we just think of it in very um, actual terms, you know, if people take you aside and give you advice that's unsolicited, that's based on what their life experience is, that really isn't in, in tune with yours, th- that, that gives you the impression of this person having this self-importance and this self-declared responsibility for a world that is yours, that belongs to you, it doesn't belong to him. Or uh, uh, someone who's declaiming all the time about what the politician should do or what the celebrity should do or how the store clerk ought to behave. Then we're, we're moving into realms that are not really within our immediate sphere of actual life experience or our immediate sphere of responsibility but we're trying to insist that my opinion is the opinion that should rule. Swami Kriyananda, my spiritual teacher, used to often make, um, make fun of attitudes that he or others might be inclined to, make, to take seriously. He was often teaching those of us who were his students by example. And when, when you, when you made, made gentle humor out of something that you might be inclined to do seriously later, <laughs> The fact that it had been a joke earlier had a way of deterring you from, from uh, misbehaving at a later date or falling out of alignment with one's own ideals, really. And I remember, Swamiji, there was a certain make of Japanese automobile or something that was a design he particularly liked. Or whenever Swamiji saw something he particularly liked, the architecture of a building, the decorations on a street, the design of this particular Japanese automobile, as it happened to be, Whenever he would see it, Swamiji would sort of get this very self-important stature about him in tone of voice, and he would say, I approve, just like that, (laughs) as if this Japanese car company was just waiting to hear from him. He didn't even drive that car, or whether the architect was just hoping 
that, you know, Swami Kriyananda would like his building. But that was a, a very exaggerated sense of projecting, trying to projecting our influence and our reality way beyond our immediate concerns. And he was doing it as a joke because he pushed it to ludicrous proportions. But how often people do not know that they're being um, inappropriate from the point of view of whether we're trying to inflate or whether we're trying to transcend the ego. And of course, many people consider life's goal to inflate the ego. So the premise of this statement is that what we're really trying to do is we're trying to become humble. And in not humble in the sense at all of self-effacing, but humble in the sense of being in a realistic relationship, not only with life itself, but with our place in the universal scheme and our unity with the greater reality. I'm a devotee, I'm, a, I'm an open-hearted devotee of God, and I have no trouble speaking of God and Divine Mother. But it doesn't, it's not necessary to have any particular vocabulary to have a certain shared experience, which is to realize that this individual ego self, which is, which is my greater reality identified with this little body and this little personality, ego is the infinite spirit, the individual spark of infinite spirit, which is within each sentient being, identified with the limitation of one personality, one body, one culture, one biological family, that causes us to forget that we are actually part of a greater reality and that the very life force and energy that flows through us is part of that greater reality. And our greater happiness because in greater harmony with truth, is not to take this little self and keep trying to make it bigger and bigger. You see, there's this longing inside of us to expand. So the, the art of right living is to, is to follow that impulse to expand as the river seeks the sea. To follow that impulse to expand, to find peace, to find rest, but to expand the right aspect of ourselves. And because the ego is the most obvious part of who we are, if we're not, if we're especially if we're externally defined rather than internally defined, sometimes people try to have that sense of expansion by continuing to expand the ego. And in a personal, my personality, my preferences, my culture kind of way, just keep trying to have more and more influence over a world that is really not that concerned about your opinion and about which you really can't have that much, over which you can't have that much influence. And if the attempt to have influence also runs into other people's, um, their realities, then you actually become quite offensive. I mean, the, the relative at the holiday table who seizes the conversation and holds forth on his political point of view or his attitude. I remember there was a, a family group that I was associated with for a time. And the patriarch, people would say, don't, don't, don't ever bring up anything that sounds like labor unions. <laughs> because if the patriarch got on the subject of labor unions, table conversation was over you know, for the rest of the day because he was just expanding his egoic commitment 
to his point of view about labor unions, which I don't remember now whether he was for or against them, but whatever it was, he was he, his ego was pushing out like that, trying to get a hold of it. Um, let's see, there was, there was another thought. Let me see if I can catch this other thought that I had here for a moment. Oh, I remember. I was a truth seeker from a very young age, but it wasn't until I was 18 and I became involved with the path of self-realization that I, I actually felt that I, 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 had, I had found the, the key to what I was seeking. And after that time, and now this is more than 50 years since that time, well more than 50 years since that time, um, I now have vocabulary for what I realized was the same impulse and the same inclination and much of the same intuition that I had really from my earliest memories, from early childhood. I just didn't know what the words were. And I have had the same ideals and the same aspiration, but the form that that has taken shifted until I came to the path of meditation, the path of discipleship, of service, of devotion, of of God. And when I got that, and of ego transcendence, and I am part of a greater reality, many other factors. When I got that, I was able to put vocabulary on my pre-self-realization days. And what I, I finally understood is what, what drove me is that I felt so limited. I just felt confined. So my first idea and I, I liked, I loved children. I loved to work with children. I was a camp counselor. I did creative dramatics with children. I always felt that motherhood was a very honorable profession. I was a little, uh, I came just before all of that sort of thing began to, society began to reshape shape itself. Um, to my idea, being a mother was a full-time profession. It was a career in itself. So I decided that I would marry, which was also a prerequisite. I would marry, and then I would have many children, because I felt it was worthwhile. It was it was it was uh, meaningful work. It was meaningful work. But the other part I I thought is, in retrospect, I thought that it would help me overcome my sense of limitation. If I was the mother of multiple children, then I wouldn't be so limited. But as I got closer to understanding that the spiritual path is what I wanted. I realized that merely reproducing physically would not um, dissolve my ego. In fact, it could even increase it as I became the proud mother of all these children and conceivably tried to extend my influence beyond my sphere of actual concern. And it was almost like the day I understood that what I wanted, that confinement was identification with the ego itself, and what I wanted to do was transcend that limited identity and embrace my infinite reality, my heart was seeking its home in God. I virtually lost, like from morning to night, I lost any desire to have children, which I've never done. It just, I still greatly respect it as a worthwhile thing to do with one's life, but it wasn't for me because I was seeking something else. I just didn't know what to call it. I wanted to escape from limitation. So people who are expanding their egos often have that same desire, but they don't understand, as I was saying at the beginning, 
that what we really need is to identify with that greater reality and expand into that greater reality. That's what we're calling this series of programs. The heart seeks its rest in God, which is to say, in infinity, in, in, in my ever-expanded, ever-existing, and ever-new, ever-newly-renewed, blissful nature. And merely to get more and more engaged in bigger and bigger spheres of the world, which don't really listen to me anyway, so are going to be, in the end, very disappointing. I, I have learned this in my own world in a very helpful friend of mine. I'm involved in the Ananda community as a global movement, and I have responsibility for certain aspects, but I have friends and awareness and sometimes even peripheral involvement in many aspects of it. And I am inclined to have opinions about how things could be done or should be done or would be done better and so on. And I have been inclined to express my opinions when it might have been better to keep my opinions to myself. And I was in one such situation and I was, I was projecting a certain point of view, which wasn't false. And in the end, I don't want to exaggerate my error, but I was not calm. I was tense about it because I was trying to exert my influence. I was having to, ex- to stretch too far from my point of origin, from my point of, of, of reality in myself, to try to influence something beyond my immediate concern. And, and it was frustrating because, in fact, I knew I wasn't wrong, and many of the thoughts I had were actually later accepted, but that's not the point. The point was, as my friend said to me, and it was perfect, it's not only a matter of what God wants, it's who he wants it from. Which is to say, if someone else has that, res- that primary responsibility, it's their, it's their destiny, it's their learning opportunity, the right word is, it's their karma to carry it out as best they can. Now, if I, as a friend, can add to their, uh, their skill in what they're doing, if I can give them an idea in such a way that they will, it will help them, um, of course I should do that. But that's the difference between egoically projecting my own desire to influence versus identifying with the greater reality and then trying to be a servant of wisdom, to be an instrument of that greater reality in helping my brothers and sisters because we are all part of that greater reality. The intention entirely, one is, is divinely inspired and it may not, you may not always succeed in getting your point of view across, but it will be a harmonious effort to do so, which won't cause to happen what Swami writes here so interestingly. If you inflate your ego too far, in the end it may pop like a balloon. He said, becoming useless even to oneself, which is you just become ineffectual. And then he raises the extremely interesting question that in some cases of senility, maybe that's what happened. A person just inflated their world of concern beyond, especially what an aging mind and an aging body can support until the whole thing just collapses and the ego, as he puts it, becomes useless even to yourself. Fascinating, isn't it? So, here we have it. Remain connected. The further a person tries to project his personal influence beyond his own immediate concerns, 
the more he inflates his ego. In the end, it may pop like a toy balloon, becoming useless even to himself. Perhaps this even explains certain cases of senility. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings, and thank you.